We continue our study in the book of Revelation. Um, we're still in chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. Revelation chapter 14. And we begin this morning in verse 14. It starts out saying, And I looked, John says, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man. If you uh, have studied Daniel chapter 7, um, this is similar to the description that Daniel speaks of. Now, in the Greek, the the is the definite article before Son of Man is not there, but... Um, but it appears by the description that it is, in fact, Jesus. We know Jesus is the one that's going to return at the end of the tribulation and set up the kingdom. So, and it's God that's pouring out his wrath. So he sees this one. Uh, when it says, like unto a son of man, it's referring to, looks like a human being, but that's always the way Jesus is referred to in the Bible, son of man. So it says, he saw him having his head... Uh, or on his head, a golden crown. And of course, Christ is coming to set up the kingdom. And in his hand, a sharp sickle. So uh, I think most people know what a sickle is, but I used one when I was younger, um, when weeds would trying to clear a field where the weeds were really high, and you, it's really sharp, and you can swing it and cut them down. Um, in Jesus' day, uh, in the first century, and still people use it today, is to cut down wheat. But here we see the references. It says he has a sharp sickle in his hand, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice. Again, it always says in the Old English word crying. It doesn't mean weeping, but it means shouting. Shouting with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap. So it's time, he's saying that this is time for this to happen, what we're about to see here as it's described. And then it tells why the end of verse 15, the word for means because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now are those who, there are those who confuse when they see the word harvest here and they confuse it with the rapture. This is not talking about the rapture. Uh, by this point, the, where we are in Revelation 14, uh, you know, to the end, towards the end of the tribulation period and what God, as he's pouring out his wrath on the earth, this is not the rapture of the church. This is just signaling that the time is right, just like when people would plant gardens, there was the time where it was time for the harvest, and that's the meaning here, it's time. Verse 16, and he that sat on the cloud, that's the son of man we saw in verse 14, he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. So it's referring to the case of God pouring out his wrath, and we'll continue to see that. Verse 17, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So now there's another one. Verse 18, And another angel, this is now the third of the angels here being talked about, came out from the altar. And it says, it says which, which means referring to this angel who had power over fire. So the word power here means authority. He had the authority over this fire, and of course fire in the scripture speaks of judgment. And that's what this is all talking about, the sharp sickle in the harvesting representing God pouring out his judgment. So we see this in verse 16. He has, he, um, he has the sharp sickle. Um, oh, sorry, I, 
already in verse 18, which had power over fire and cried that is shouted with a loud cry or a loud shout to him that had the sharp sickle saying, so this is this angel in verse 17, he has another sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. So it's talking about harvesting the grapes, the clusters of grapes from the vineyard. Now, again, might say, well, this sounds just really like a, like a harvest, like you normally would harvest stuff. But when we see the reference in just a moment, we'll see what the purpose and what it means, the symbolic meaning of harvesting the grapes. So look at the end of verse 18 again. Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Again, referring to the point that this is time. God is pouring out his judgment. Verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. You can find reference in Isaiah chapter 5 where God talks about the nation of Israel and all that he did for them uh, in the vineyard. And he put a watchtower, um, put watchtower and so forth, and he had a wall around it, protection and all that. Uh, but here we see it's referring to God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. And notice it's referred to in the end of verse 19, the great winepress of the wrath of God. So I always think, uh, and most of you probably watched this years ago, um, the old episodes, episodes of I Love Lucy and one of the iconic um, one that most people remember is the one where Ethel and Lucy are stamping out the grapes. So that's the way they used to do it, and they, um, in some places in Europe, I believe that's still the way they crush the grapes. And so here we see this is reference to that, the great wine press of the wrath of God. So if the grapes represent the people on the earth and God is pouring out his wrath, look at the next verse, verse 20. And the wine press was trodden without the city. Without means outside. So it's, it's trodden. Now the word trodden, of course, means tramped, but it's the same word used in Revelation 11. So please hold your place a moment in Revelation 14, and let's go back to Revelation 11. Revelation 11, and you'll see in verse 2. Revelation 11:2. But the court which is without, meaning outside the temple, leave out. John is told not to measure that. Measured it not, for it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread underfoot. So that's the same reference, tread underfoot. Here we see trodden, and it's the symbolic meaning of God pouring out his wrath. So we come back to Revelation 14. <coughs> Excuse me. I spent all day in the yard yesterday, and I think I got a lot of pollen. So, so verse 20, the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress. So we know from that that it doesn't mean literal grapes, right? And it's not the harvest in the sense what we think. It's all symbolic. Harvest meaning the time is ready. God is pouring out his wrath. So what comes out of the grapes, representing the people on the earth, is blood. And then it tells how much, even to the horse's bridle, so that's how high it splatters, by the space of a hundred uh, and excuse me, 1,600 furlongs, which is the Greek word stadia, which is about an eighth of a mile, and so that would mean about 200 mile radius. Now, some people uh, say 180 miles, so, but it, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of blood. A lot of people will die, and a lot of blood will be shed. Uh, you remember the, uh, in, in Revelation 6, where we saw 
the opening of the seals, and that was a broad outline of the tribulation. You remember the rider on the red horse. Red is a color of blood, and it represented, he had a great sword, and so that always represents war, but in war there's lots of bloodshed, a lot of people die. So we see all the, the meaning of that. Now we continue in Revelation 15. John says, I saw another sign in heaven. Remember, he keeps seeing these signs. We saw, uh, you know, several, Revelation 12, 13, and so forth. But here he says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Um, sometimes, again, when we think about these, the words change meaning in Old English to New English, and that's because English is a living language. Uh, Latin is a dead language. The only place it's still spoken is in the Vatican. But... Uh, it has not changed in many years now. But English and other languages of the world keep changing, and that's normal. Um, so sometimes we, we look at certain words, and we think marvelous. It's not in a sense that it's wonderful that we would think of the word marvelous. Oh, that's marvelous. But it's to be marveled at. Um, I'll give you several examples of words that we've talked about. The word terrible, the Old Testament describes God as terrible, but that is, has a bad connotation today, but in the sense of God, the root of the word means terror, so God is to be feared, terrible. And then we have the word um, awful. It has a bad connotation today, but uh, it means to be full of awe was the meaning, to just look, think of God, to just stand in awe of his greatness. So those are example of words. Even uh, words like the word fair, F-A-I-R, uh, if it described a woman as fair-looking, if you said that today, you would say she's average-looking. She wouldn't, wouldn't appreciate somebody telling her that. So we would think of that as a negative thing. But the word fair in the Old Testament, in the Old English, um, and in the New Testament too, but it, it meant uh, beautiful. So there's several examples. So here we see it's great and marvelous. He sees this, what it's going to reveal is, is what is to be marveled at. It says, he saw seven angels having the seven last plagues. Um, of course, the plagues makes you think of Egypt, and there are some similarities when we get to chapter 16 and we see what these plagues represent. But it calls them the seven last plagues. It says, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So we were just talking about God pouring out his wrath in the end of chapter 14. This is more details of things that will happen in the tribulation period, specifically this last three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation. So we get more details, and this is going to be revealed in just a moment, but we see this is the pouring out of God's wrath. Now it says the seven last plagues, because it says in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's the, it's the last details that John is shown in relationship to the judgment that will uh, come upon the earth. Look at verse 2. John said, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. Always that phrase, as it were, he's trying to describe what it was like. Remember, we saw this earlier in the book of Revelation. The sea of glass was mentioned, but notice a difference here. It's mingled with fire. Again, fire always having to do with judgment. But he sees the same sea of glass that was before the throne in chapter 4 that he, when he was raptured up. It said, and those who, I know it says them that, we say in modern English, those who had gotten the victory over the beast. He sees those. Now remember, that's not us. We won't be here when the beast is here. We're raptured out before the Antichrist is revealed. But this is the tribulation saints. He sees those who have gotten victory over the beast and over his image. Remember in chapter 13, we saw the false prophet 
had a statue built, an image of the beast, so that everybody would worship him. And it, he has the ability to give it life. I, I don't know if that's literal life. I tend to think artificial life. But it is, remember, we saw in chapter 13, this statue is able to um, cause everyone to take the mark of the beast. If they don't, they can't buy or sell. He has control or surveillance over all of that. And those that do not do that are killed. So there's a lot of power given to this image. Well, here we see these, these are the tribulation saints. They've gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. And he, John says he saw them stand on the sea of glass. Now, I looked up several translations to see if it's literally on. Some translate it um, by, but most of them do translate this Greek word referring to on the sea of glass. So it makes me wonder. It's a big glass, and it looks crisp, I mean, it's like water, crystal clear. But I don't know if it's uh, ice, the fact they can stand at it, or the fact that they're, they're um, now... Um, these are tribulation saints that have been resurrected after the tribulation. So in any case, they're standing on the sea of glass. And then it says, having the harps of God. So um, we note, of course, this is literally talking about the tribulation, but in the sense of that, it, we notice most people, unless they've had lessons on it, wouldn't be able to play a harp. But suddenly they all have harps, which I assume means they can play them. And they are all playing their harps. And, of course, verse 13, they're singing. And they sing the song of Moses. That's what John heard them sing, the, so, uh, the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, and here we have the words, great and marvelous. That's the words we saw in chapter 1, great and marvelous. Now, in this sense, this is literally talking about Jesus in the sense still to be marveled at, but not in a bad sense, in a good sense. Great and marvelous are your works. Talking about the works of God. It says, Lord God Almighty. The word Almighty is talking about omnipotence. He's all powerful. Just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. So we know that when we think about um, God and his attributes, one of the things that will be repeated over and over here is how God is just, as we just saw that, just and true are his ways. So everything he does is right. And this is repeated continuously because some might, you know, in our own wisdom, in our own thinking, apart from the wisdom of God, we might think, well, this is pretty awful. This, this wrath that God is going to pour out and a lot of people are going to suffer and a lot of people are going to die. But God is right in doing it. So we go on to verse 4, which is part of the song. Who shall not, who shall not fear thee? Who, who shouldn't fear God? Or... It says, O Lord, and glorify your name. Uh, the song I want to sing for the offertory this morning has to do with uh, glorifying the name of Jesus. Glorify your name, for thou only art holy. Now, you think about all of the, the ones that take the mark of the beast and they're caused to worship him. They're all worshiping him, but of course in this song, it is God that is alone is holy. And then it says, for all nations shall come and worship before you. So in the millennial kingdom, the countries that exist, the people in those countries will all come to worship. They'll all come to worship. It says, explaining in the end of verse 4 again, the word for meaning because thy judgments, that is God's judgments, your judgments are made manifest. 
they're revealed. Verse 5, and after that, John says, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So remember, we know back when the tabernacle was um, built in the wilderness and eventually the temple uh, under King Solomon and so forth. We know that Moses was instructed to follow the blueprint of that which is in heaven. So that, that is there. And so here he, John sees, um, he says, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Verse 6, and the seven angels. Remember he saw, he saw in verse 15, there were the seven last plagues. So we see there are seven angels in verse 6. They, he sees them, they came out of the temple having the seven plagues that we saw in verse 1, where they were first mentioned, clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girdled, uh, girded, excuse me, with the golden girdles. So this is a, a sash that's worn, and this was golden. So the, he describes the angels wearing this. Verse 7, and one of the four beasts, that's one of the living creatures, uh, we saw in the description, both in looking at John and Ezekiel, that they have, it appears like hands of a man, so whatever it is in case, and they reach out and can do things. So it says this, he says, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden vials. Now, the fact that it's golden, gold throughout the scripture speaks of God's deity. Again, this is God's judgment, and he's right in pouring it out. And so there's golden vials, or vials, the old English word for bowls, seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. So I always think when you're talking, um, if a person's just listening and they, they <laughs> don't know, it can be ambiguous uh, because it sounds like the word bowls, B-O-W-L-S, sounds the same as B-U-L-L-S. So it's, it's not cows, uh, but it's a, like a bowl you'd eat cereal in. So in that sense, there's seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. It says, who lives forever and ever. Verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke. Now, in the Old Testament, we see every time this would happen, the smoke, the temple would fill with smoke, or the tabernacle, and then later the temple. And we see it says, from the glory of God. That's his Shekinah glory. It, was, it has reference to the presence of God. And from his power. And no man, that is no one, was able to enter into the temple till, this is until, it tells when, the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. In other words, uh, after John gets these revealed. Now we go on to chapter 16 and we get the details of the seven golden vials. Verse 1, John says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels. Again, I think he's referencing that as he says over and over. I think we would call it an amplified sound as he hears this loud sound. And it says, it said to the seven angels, go your ways. In other words, God has directed them. They know what their assignment is. So go your ways, each, each of your individual ways, and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So remember, this all connects to God, together. It's time for the, the reference into end of chapter 14, the harvest meaning it's time. God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth. And these are some of the details now that John has revealed that will happen in the tribulation. That is the last half. Verse 2, and the first went, that is the first angel, went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, again notice, which had 
the mark of the beast, and upon those who worshipped his image. So it does not fall on the tribulation saints. They're not suffering. It's those who are worshipping the beast. Those Now, you'll notice it says noisome and, noisome and grievous, different words in the meaning, but um, it's, it's definitely... Um, Noisome would be, it looks really bad. These sores look awful. And uh, the reference to the grievous, they, they look bad and they're painful. Now, some have suggested that this might be some form of malignancy, but in any case, these are very painful. You remember one of the things, the last thing that happened to Job, remember Satan kept going before God and said, you know, the only reason Job is good is because he's, you know, everything's always gone right for him. Well, at this point, already he had lost his business, he had lost his family except for his wife, and now Satan suggests, well, his health. What about his health? So God permits it. And this, he says he's sitting in pain with these boils on his body. And that's, of course, when I always think about in this Bible, and I know I've said it several times, but his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And then Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So despite that he lost everything, including his health, he still believed it was God that gave it, and it's God that can take it away if he wants to. So Job continued to have faith. Here we see this is, this is a, a terrible uh, plague that comes upon him, and they're sore, and they're in pain. And um, this is similar, if you remember in the book of Exodus, with the plagues that fell on Egypt. This is similar to the sixth plague. All right, verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, so that would refer to the ocean, the salt water, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Now, we've seen earlier where it says a third of the creatures in the sea die and the ships are affected, but we see ultimately by this detail that all the life in the sea dies. That's pretty tragic, but that's what this uh, second Vile is talking about in its details, and that's similar to the first plague, you remember, in Exodus. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. So that's all the fresh water. It's all affected. Again, that's similar to the first plague. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters say, and this, remember, I said would be repeated over and over, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, which was, and shalt be, because... Thou hast judged thus. In other words, you've judged like this. This is God pouring out. These are awful things we're reading about, but God is right in doing it. He's just. He's justified in doing it. Verse 6. And this says why. Verse 6 means the word for, because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now, we don't get the details of this until chapter 17, but I think I mentioned to you last time, one of the meanings of the seven heads that he saw on the beast in Revelation 13. Represented in 17, it tells us the seven heads are seven hills on which the horse sits, and that refers to the location. And it mentions Rome. We keep seeing Babylon, but remember Nebuchadnezzar? That's why it's important to study Daniel. It's so important. Daniel chapter 2, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he dreamed of a, a large statue, had a gold head, silver chest and arms, uh, brass belly, and iron uh, legs, and then it gets down to the, the, the feet, which are part iron and part clay, and it has ten toes. All of that will get the details of in chapter 17, 
But this connection where it keeps saying Babylon refers to the Gentile powers, and then eventually was Rome. And remember what happened to the Christians in the first century. Now, we had prophets were affected all the way through, and a lot of Christians in the early uh, centuries were martyred. So it says they have shed the blood of the saints. But in particular, during the tribulation period, they're killing the tribulation saints. So they're responsible. The reason God is just as pouring out his wrath is they've shed the blood of saints and prophets. And then it says, and thou, God, has given them blood to drink. In other words, they will suffer and they'll die, for they are worthy. So the oceans turn to blood. Now their fresh drinking water is changed to blood. He gives them blood to drink. So the, some, the meaning, blood, water is necessary to live. If you don't have fresh water, you don't have clean uncontaminated water, you can't live. And so that's the significance of these, uh, this plague. Verse 7. And I heard another, I'm referring to an angel, of course, out of the altar, say, even so, Lord God Almighty. Now we'll see the even so again at the end of Revelation. Right? So despite what happens, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Again, it's repeated. God is right. He is just in doing this. Now the fourth one, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and when power was given him to scorch men with fire. Now there's not a similar plague in Exodus, but notice that it gets really hot. Verse 9. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. We see this over and over in the book of Revelation. Despite God pouring out his wrath, people do not repent. They, don't, they just continue, in a sense, to shake their fists in God and go on about what they're doing. So they continue to blaspheme the name of God, which has power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him, that is, God, glory. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. The word seat means throne. So where uh, the location where the uh, beast is ruling. And we see from scripture in the book of Daniel that he places his throne in the midst of the seas, which would be between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. So, and it says in, in um, the holy mountain. So it's in Jerusalem that Satan will be there, and so this is where this, this particular thing happens with the fifth angel. It says, in his kingdom was full of darkness. Now, this has more significance now than it would even back in Egypt. Remember, the, uh, this fifth seal is like the ninth plague in Exodus. But if, if, you know, nowadays we depend on electricity. We use it for lights. We use it for air conditioning when it gets hot. So picture yourself if you're... You know, we're, we won't be in the tribulation, but picture the fact these are people, they're suffering, they're in a lot of pain. They don't have any, the, the water, they can't use the water. There's no more, nothing live in the ocean, so they can't get any, um, you know, some people like to eat fish, they can't get that anymore. It's, they're in excruciating heat, and I believe this reference to darkness means the power's out. So they can't, uh, there's no power, there's no air conditioning, they can't getting relief. Um, it says, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Now, the pain, referring back to, to verse 2, but all these other things just aggravate, aggravate it. They're in so much pain from these sores. If you can imagine uh, being in that, I, I think about people who have suffered in hurricanes in the, back in the, um, uh, in, often in Florida, 
but several ones where then even tornadoes respond and a lot of people have damage and the power's out. Now in Florida, it's hot and it's humid, so when that happens, um, you know, then you, it adds to the aggravation because you can't get any air, you can't even turn on a fan unless you have a generator. So I'm sure things are similar to uh, events that happened in the Philippines that Annabelle would know about. So here we know this would add to all the suffering. Verse 11. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So they're in pain, they continue to suffer, and they still won't repent. Verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. To me, I don't think this is similar to one of the plagues, but it makes me think of when the Israelites went through the Red Sea. You know, this is a little different. The whole river is going to dry up. But the Red Sea, at least it dried as the water went up on both sides and congealed is the meaning in the Hebrew. It congealed, and so it's standing up. And they walked across on dry land. So it's a miracle. You can't explain it. If it was just the water, scientists would try to figure out how the winds could blow and get the... I've seen all that, people trying to figure it out. It's a miracle. So, because then you'd still have wet, wetness, right, and mucky. There was not. It was dry. They walked across dry land. And then I've heard the explanation of people saying, oh, it's a mistranslation. It's not the Red Sea. They crossed. It's the Reed Sea. Just the sea of reeds that blow in the wind. And they walked across. And God parted the sea of reeds. That doesn't make any sense, Right? It's an even greater miracle than if the whole army of Pharaoh's chariots died or drowned in this sea of reeds. That's just ridiculous. Anyway, all right, this is the whole river dried up. Now, if you think location-wise, through Iraq runs the river Euphrates. This says when this angel pours out its vial, it's going to dry up. This allows the kings from the east to come in because it's all preparing for the battle of Armageddon. So it says, might be prepared in verse 12, the end of verse 12. This is all planned out by God. Verse 13, John says, I, thought, I saw three unclean spirits. We could spend a lot of time about unclean spirits. You got in the Bible, you have demons, um, and we have reference to fallen angels, we have unclean spirits, all of these things. That would be in a whole study in itself. Um, but unclean spirits, it says in verse 13, like frogs. Now remember there was a plague of frogs um, in the the second plague was of frogs. But I don't believe these are literally frogs coming out. I believe that these unclean spirits are leaping out like a frog jumps. That's my impression of what it means. But anyway, they come out, notice, uh, of the, the beast and out of the, uh, sorry, I missed, out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So Satan, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Verse 14. And they, these unclean spirits, are the spirits of devils, which means demons. You know, you think about demons, it's interesting. They're required, according to what we find in the Bible, to be in a body to live. Remember when Jesus cast out the demons and they ran into a herd of swine and the swine went insane and ran off the, riff into the, off the uh, cliff into the ocean. They, they, they seek to be in uh, something living. So these are the spirits of demons, and it says working miracles. So I believe they, they don't just go out and stay out. I believe they go into 
the certain rulers in the world who affect them and their decisions. It says that they working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth, those ruling in different countries, and of the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. So it's a preparation. They are used to influence the kings to, to come together for this war. Verse 15. Behold, oh, and I believe verse 15, I believe, is interjected um, just as we're studying all the book of Revelation. I think this is something for us to keep in mind as Christians. Behold, I come as a thief, and as a thief, and that is in reference always to the rapture. Blessed is he who watches, so we're told as believers to watch. That doesn't mean to sell everything, go sit on top of a mountain and wait. Because the, the parable where Jesus says, occupy till I come, we continue doing what he wants us to do, but we're waiting for his return, we're watching for it. It says, and keeps his garments, that means we guard them, we protect them, so we, we you know, don't get affected by this world, lest he walk naked, because if we don't do that, we're going to stand naked at the judgment seat, and they see his shame. So all of verse 15, I think, is, is parenthetical in reference to us as believers. When we're studying all of this, we need to be ready. We're almost done, and we'll close this morning. So let's do a couple more verses. Uh, verse 16, and he gathered them together. These are the kings and the armies, right? Together to the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So it's, the, it's, the, it's a region in northern part of Israel. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice, it's a loud voice, out of the temple of heaven, from the throne saying, it is done. See, at this point, when the seven last plagues are, um, John sees them revealed, he's got the details of these things that will happen on the earth. Now, there's still more to study related, and we'll go back and explain it. But now verse 18, there were voices and thunders and lightnings, all this we've seen before, this happens at the end of the tribulation, and there was a great earthquake, now we get a little more detail about this earthquake, how severe it is. It says, and such was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. There's never been an earthquake this bad, all the earth, you know, in the, in the U.S., uh, we, have, we know in 1811 and 1812 there were a series of earthquakes that occurred in Mississippi near Memphis, and it said that it rang bells as far away as Boston, Massachusetts. If it were to happen today, they said like the city of Chattanooga in that same location would be totally destroyed. All, all, all buildings would collapse. So that was 1811. We know the, in more recent times in the United States, the worst earthquake recorded was 1964 in Anchorage, Alaska. It happened in good, on Good Friday in March of 1964, and it's pretty severe. You can still see results of that earthquake uh, today. Not a lot of people were living in Anchorage in 1964, so there weren't a lot of deaths, but it was a lot of destruction. But this is going to be worse than ever, worse earthquake. And we'll see how devastating it is in verse 19. First it says, and the great city. Now, the great city, uh, we've seen reference to it before in Revelation uh, 13, where it says the beasts were killed and they were in the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, right, so it's Jerusalem, this great city, was divided into three parts, so it divides Jerusalem. This also coincides with when Christ, in Zechariah it prophesies that 
Christ returns and his feet land on the Mount of Olives and the mountain splits half to the north and half to the south. That's also an earthquake. So this is all part of this. Was divided into three parts and now we get reference to the rest of the world. And the cities, plural, of the nations, plural, both of those words are plural, fell. So all over the world, buildings are crumbling. That's how severe the earthquake is. Now it says, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Again, the reference to Babylon we see repeated over and over is reference when Christ returns, he hits the bottom of the statue, which represents the times of the Gentiles, and that all ends. So it comes into remembrance. It says, God, uh, excuse me, going on in verse 19, to give to her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Again, we sing this reference to God pouring out his wrath. And we'll do the, these last two verses and we'll close. I know I'm going over. And every island fled away and mountains were not found. When this earthquake happens, the geography of the earth changes. Mountains are, won't be as tall anymore. Islands will disappear. I believe this is because the canopy of water is put back that was there before the flood. The polar ice caps, caps melt. The sea levels rise and uh, we, the islands would disappear. Verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Now we've seen before, we get more details now about this hail. It's not hail as we know hail, it's just large chunks of something falling from the sky. I think Hal Lizzie, Lindsay proposed that these are nuclear bombs and I don't deny they could be, but I wonder if it's uh, meteors because of Revelation 6, the opening of the sixth seal. In any case, it's great hail, it's big, it comes out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, that would be what we would say 100 pounds, so they're large, and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. And I apologize for going over, let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. We pray for the coming service that you would speak through Jeff, that we would receive your word and get the spiritual food we need. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.